When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? We are back after, I, I have to believe, Ryan, that was our longest hiatus since last summer, maybe, last offseason somewhere. I, I was planning to come back with a show last week, but I thought, you know what, let's let's breathe a little bit. We're, we're kind of turning the page to the draft. Uh, I needed a couple extra days to really, you know, sink my teeth into this thing. Um, and I feel like I'm finally at a place with this draft class where I can talk intelligently about it so he's ryan talbot i am matt perino we are going to get into some fun questions here as we begin to kind of set the table over the next couple of weeks we're gonna have a lot of fun draft conversations we're gonna start with a couple here tonight how are you my friend hey i'm doing great and and you're right it feels like it's been a while so uh happy to be back in the saddle and talking bills football Speaking about being back in the saddle, we are going to mount up once again at Wing Nuts in a couple of weeks here. Set the set your calendar, set the date, save the date. It is April 15th. It is 6 p.m. We'll probably start the show at around 7:30. So plan uh for that. It's going to be our NFL draft preview spectacular. And we're bringing in a big guest that we're excited about, Joe Biscalia from The Athletic. He is going to come. Uh, help us break this thing down, and we're going to do something fun, Ryan. We're going to take four predetermined outcomes of the draft, mock outcomes, and then we are going to debate it and, as a panel, come to the one that we think makes the most sense for the Bills. We're going to put a little time into you know, the pre-show process, figuring out uh, what those scenarios are, and we're going to come with our, our best arguments. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. You know, big guest, well, literally and figuratively, Joe Towers over us. We're going to have to figure <laughs> out that uh, video situation, how to get it so all of us are on screen. So looking forward to Wing Nuts, though, April 15th. That is a great point. Uh, it will be fun. We have an announcement to make that night. Um, there's going to be great food and drinks, as always. Wing Nuts at 700 Military Road in North Buffalo. You are not going to want to miss this thing. It's going to be a, a super fun time. So, we got a couple of things to get to tonight. Let me set the table real quick. There's a couple of things. First and foremost, the linebacker conversation at number 27. There's a couple of interesting names to discuss and whether or not that position should even be in play at that position. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, Ryan put up a story, um, I think last week or over the weekend, uh, Darnell Wright, top tackle prospect. He uh, coming to Buffalo for a top 30 visit. We want to get into that position a little bit because I think – if you're just kind of getting into this thing, tackle might not be completely on your radar, but it's an interesting position to ponder. Then you have a nice little tidbit on 
top 30 visits that we'll get to mm-hmm. as well. And then, of course, Cole Beasley, very active on social media. Once again, he had some comments about Gabe Davis. I wanted to just toss that around, ping pong it around, if you will. But let's start on Campbell. And I put up a story. I was listening to the um, Daniel Jeremiah Bucky Brooks podcast from last week. And some really a really good nugget from Jeremiah is that coming off of the combine over the last month, he has heard two different people say to him, don't be surprised if there's a marriage between Jack Campbell and Buffalo late in the first round. That is the linebacker out of Iowa. You know, him and Bucky kind of tossed it around a little bit. Bucky said like the leadership piece, the athletic profile, a lot of the what Jack Campbell brings to the table is a, a fit for the Bills. What McDermott likes to do, what Brandon Bean looks for. And then also a guy that's going to, you're going to ask a rookie to come in here and call this defense. That's a piece of it that I think we could talk about as well. But they added a little, another layer to this, Ryan. Luke Keekley, who has been in Buffalo the last two off seasons to work with the linebacking uh, group in Buffalo. Sean McDermott was his DC in Carolina. He is training Jack Campbell this off season. So I don't think that there's a top 30 visit scheduled for him, but it's interesting because if they really want to know about the player, I'm not sure there's many people like Daniel Jeremiah said that Sean McDermott trusts more than Luke Keekley. Yeah. Uh, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to the top 30 visits, that could change at any point in time, Matt. Uh, so they could call up this week and try to get something scheduled. So as of right now, though, it has not been reported that Campbell is coming to Buffalo. But when you and I were talking about this yesterday, you know, you said it. The Bills have Luke Keekley on speed dial. And, and I'm sure it works both ways. I'm sure Luke Keekley could be sitting there training this guy saying, wow, uh, you know, the athletic profile, the need in Buffalo, uh, knowing how good he could be in Sean McDermott's defense. I, I'm sure there have been conversations had uh, where wait till you get a look at this guy, look at the tape, this, that, or the other. Uh, I'm sure that it, from an interest perspective, he makes a lot of sense to the Bills. Yeah. Do we like the, the idea and the fit for the player? I mean, I, I think there's probably two players in this range that we have to talk about, right? Drew Sanders from Arkansas. And obviously Jack Campbell from Iowa, the two top, you know, interior linebackers in this class. And I think depending on what you're looking for, they're different flavors. Campbell is more of that. He's been a middle linebacker. He's called the defense. He's they rave about him as a leader, all those kinds of things. The Dick Buckus award winner. But Sanders, I think, has a little bit better of an athletic profile. He was a, he went to Alabama first, was an edge rusher. They changed him over once he uh, he transferred schools, and he was really good as especially as a blitzer. I mean, he spends a lot of time in the defensive back or in the offensive backfield, tackles for a loss, sacks, all those kinds of you know the splash plays. I think you probably prefer Sanders and what he's put together in his one season at Arkansas. But let's get into the conversation of. Which player do you think is a better fit? And then also, is that the route to go for the Bills at 27? Uh, I'm not sure if I can sit here today and tell you which one's a better fit because I think they both match from a athletic profile. Uh, Campbell, he was an athletic freak according to the the Raz score that he had. Uh, I think it was a 9.98, somewhere in that range out of 10. Uh, so he's fine, obviously, as an athlete. He's a guy that can do the coverage uh, better than I think what some people thought maybe coming out. And then you mentioned uh, the the Arkansas linebacker too. I mean, both guys make a lot of sense for what the Bills need, what they're missing on this defense after losing Edmonds. I'm just not sure I love the idea of taking a linebacker in round one. We can get more into that in terms of what we were talking about pre-show. 
I, I just don't know if that's going to truly be the best player available when the Bills get on the clock late in round one. And that's the interesting part of this every year is when we're talking about this, these positions, you know, linebacker, running back, you almost take like, say there's not a first round grade on any of the linebackers. And Matt Miller from ESPN actually put out a piece, I think of four days ago, I thought was really good. He came up with 20 players that he has a first round grade on. And I'll read them through them here because I think it's a fun exercise. The quarterbacks, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, uh, Will Levis. I will say that there's a lot of juice around uh, the Tennessee quarterback. Um, what's his name again? Hooker, Hooker. Yeah. Hooker. yeah, he is trending all of a sudden. Could end up being a first-round pick. If you want to throw his name into the mix, that's that's one that is interesting as well. Bijan Robinson, the running back. Uh, Jackson Smith in Jigba. Jordan Anderson. Interestingly enough, he didn't have a first-round grade on Zay Flowers. Only one tight end, Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. Three tackles, Peter Skaronsky, Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson Jr., and then five edge rushers, Will Anderson Jr., Tyree Wilson, Lucas Van Ness, Nolan Smith, Miles Murphy out of Clemson, Jalen Carter, obviously the interior defensive lineman out of Georgia, and then three cornerbacks, Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez, and Joey Porter Jr. out of Penn State. That's it. And so zero linebackers with a first-round grade. So you, so I, I get the natural instinct to then say, if you're a fan and you and, and you and you don't think the value is there for the player, all right, trade out of that spot, right? Trade back, accumulate draft capital. If Brandon Bean can pull off a deal, I think that that makes a ton of sense, especially if the first 25-ish picks goes the way that most experts expect it to go. And there's not a real slam dunk, run the paper to the podium type of pick. The problem is, Ryan, there needs to be somebody at the other end of the line willing to trade up for a specific player. And that player might not be there because there might be such a big pool of players that teams have similar grades on. Yeah. And what it's going to come down to with the trade down option, in my opinion, is a team that maybe I don't want to say misses out on a quarterback in round one, but maybe they there was a better player available to them. And maybe they want to trade back into the end of round one, though, to get a, a uh, Levis or a hooker. I've, I've actually seen Levis fall out of round one in a few mock drafts recently, which is a little surprising. But, you know, last year, Malik Willis was the first round picking a lot of mock drafts. And then you saw where he fell to. Um, so you just never know with mock drafts in terms of how accurate they'll be at the end of the day compared to the actual draft. But hypothetically, if there's a team that goes with a defensive star or, or another need in round uh, one and then they want to get one of those quarterbacks because it's valuable to take a quarterback in round one because of that fifth year option as you know maybe that's the the golden ticket so to speak for the bills to trade down is there's one of those teams that say you know we want to get hooker at the end of round one bills say well that's perfect you can get the fifth round or the fifth year option excuse me we can move down acquire more picks because only six picks in this draft class which is pretty light for brandon bean uh, especially knowing what he said about this year being tight to the cap, next year being tight to the cap. He probably wants to acquire a few extra picks if possible. So that might be the, the best case scenario for this team. But you're right. It, it, it takes two to tango. Uh, going back to the linebacker conversation, because you just mentioned Matt Miller, he also put out a really interesting tweet today, too, about uh, there's all this talk about don't draft a running back in round one. He go, But he said you could say the same for linebackers. And he went all the way back to 2015, Matt. And I'll read through some of these names last year. And, and some of these are inside linebackers. Some are off-ball linebackers. Uh, Quay Walker, Devin Lloyd, Zayvon Collins, mm. Jamin Davis, Isaiah Simmons, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks, Patrick Queen. 
Devin White, Devin Bush, Raquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Vander Esch, Rashawn Evans, Gerard Davis, Ruben Foster, Duran Lee, and Stefan Anthony. Not a lot of hits there. There's there's a few, but there's also quite a few misses, quite a few players that bounced around the league, some that are out of the league, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure if you're getting that value in round one, taking a linebacker. Now, that said, every linebacker is different. They might fall in love with one of the two players that we mentioned, uh, Sanders, Drew Sanders, or it could be Jack Campbell. And maybe he is a per- one of them is a perfect fit for this system and come right in and call the defense, which that's another challenge in itself. But uh, there, there's definitely some question marks in terms of taking a linebacker in round one. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we'll probably do a show uh, specifically geared around, okay, who are the trade back targets? I just ran a quick mock draft, um, which is so fun this time of year, right? We're going through all the different simulators and really starting to kind of charge this thing up. And the the first trade that comes up is, is Carolina, and you'd have to move back. I think it's to like 39, and then you could add an additional third round pick in the deal, something around that, or Detroit who has two second round picks, get both of those. And so you move back and you get an additional player and see, that's the other problem or kind of baked in here is if you, if you go best player available at 27 and it doesn't end up being a linebacker and you're Brandon Bean and you're dead set on getting that guy. I think Sanders and, and Campbell, you're going to have a tough time getting them at where the bills pick at that second, because that there's going to be a run at the position at some point, right? Like there other positions are going to get picked a little bit more dry in terms of the top tier of that spot. We see it every year. We saw it last in last year's draft. And I think that's one of the reasons that Brandon Bean had ex- didn't know what to do almost like, you know, trading back trading, you know, no guys that he had that he wanted weren't there when they got to his pick. And there was a couple guys that he thought are, right, we moved back a couple spots They ended up ultimately getting James Cook, but I think that's a dangerous spot to be in as well. So it's like how the Bills approach the trade game in this one. I'm very intrigued to see how that plays out. Yeah, they might go in, Matt, with a strategy saying, well, uh, if our top whatever players are off the board, all their players with the first round grade, because, you know, you mentioned four, I think four quarterbacks on that list. uh, They're not going to be on Buffalo's board in terms of, you know, someone that they're going to realistically draft. So they might be looking at 15 players, 16 players with a first round grade. And if they're all gone, trading down might be uh, what they're hoping for. But maybe one of those players hangs around until 2021. And then all of a sudden the conversation shifts entirely to should we trade up and get this guy Uh, like they did last year with Kyrie Elam. Elam, they said, was the last player that they had a first round grade on. My gut feeling is they were all aboard the Trent McDuffie train and when McDuffie was traded up and uh, when the Chiefs traded up to get McDuffie, I think they kind of panicked a little bit too, traded up to get Kyrie Elam. Um, so you never know. Like that's the, the beauty of this draft that you can go in with a game plan saying we're more likely to do trade down than trade up or vice versa. But as the picks start coming in, rolling in, everything changes in a matter of minutes. If you go over to, um, I think Lance Zerline does a really good job yeah. over at um, NFL.com. He, he's got a nice profile. Uh, he'll put at the top. All the numbers are kind of listed out. They do a production score, an athleticism score, and then a total score. The total score uh, for all linebackers, Drew Sanders gets an 86. Jack Campbell is 82. So those one, two, right? Now, if you go to the athletic score, Drew Sanders didn't participate in the combine. Jack Campbell did, and he crushed it. He gets an 89. Then you go to the production score. 
86 for Drew Sanders and only a 74 for mm. Jack Campbell. So that's going to be interesting to see. I think both of these guys, um, one of the pros to their games is they're rangy, which I think any player they look at to fill that middle linebacker role, they're going to be able to have to play sideline to sideline, especially against some of the high profile offenses that they play against. I don't know. Like we'll, we'll, we'll see when it comes to one of the things that I'm concerned about in the Jack Campbell scouting report is lacking desired short area burst in pursuit, Mm. which means like reactivity, right? Like if if a guy gets a pass over the middle, is he going to be able to react quick enough, especially as a rookie? Like we talk so much about these young players being able to come in and contribute right away. There's going to be so much on the plate of a potential rookie middle linebacker. I mean, we saw Terrell Bernard thrown out there weeks into the season at will linebacker and how much he struggled in that spot. He was a third round draft pick. So you're really, I think if you're the bills and you make this pick at 27, you're going to have to really believe in it. Yeah. You're going to have to believe in it. You're going to also have to have maybe a plan in place in terms of calling the plays. Are you really going to trust a rookie uh, to do that? And it's not to say that they're not capable of doing it, but do you pass it along to Milano? Let him do the the play calling, even though he, he is not, you know, the traditional spot where you do that. I don't know. Uh, but you're right. There's so much on the plate of a rookie if they're coming in, they're going to be contributing. If it's a linebacker, they're going to be contributing in a big time way. You know, we, we've talked about the internal in-house options for the Bills from Terrell Bernard uh, to Tyrell Dodson to Balin Specter. Those guys may end up being the week one starter. But if the Bills go first round with one of these two prospects that we've been talking about tonight, in my mind, I don't see how they're not starting week one. One guy that, you know, we had Chris Trapasso on a while back, and he really sang the praises of Diane Henley, linebacker out of Washington State, a little bit smaller. He doesn't fit the size profile of Edmonds and, and Campbell. And even Drew Sanders, who isn't as heavy, he's still a six foot four, uh, kind of a t- on the taller end. Diane Henley, six foot, 225 pounds. Um, a guy that, former wide receiver that from a coverage perspective, I think that's where teams really like him in this draft, but he's another name to kind of keep an eye on. And and after that, it's going to kind of be a crapshoot. Again, this is a position that I don't feel like teams, you know, from what I've heard at the combine aren't overly wowed about Uh, a couple other names out there. Noah Sewell from the linebacker from Oregon, kind of a throwback type of guy can do a little bit of everything. He is the brother of Panay Sewell, who went in the first round a couple years ago. And then another name that I've heard kind of thrown around, and this might have been in one of your mock drafts, Dorian Williams, linebacker out of Tulane. Yeah, I, I don't think he was in my mock, but definitely a, a popular name in a lot of the mocks that I've seen uh, for someone that you can get in those middle rounds or day two type of picks. So I, I just think that the Bills, if Brandon Bean is the way he's been since taking over here, they're going to go best player available. I don't necessarily know if that's going to be linebacker because uh, there's some tackles that could fall into their laps. There's some receivers we can talk about. This is a very deep tight end class. I think there's going to be a few tight ends that might be higher on their board in terms of grading uh, and other positions as well. So it's going to be interesting to watch and see how it all unfolds here in April. I feel like all of the, this is like a little sidebar, but I feel like all of the draft analysts are like biting their lip when they're talking about the comp for Dalton Kincaid, like I feel like everybody wants to kind of talk about the Travis Kelsey in them, but nobody really wants to use the comp because mm. Kelsey is such a unicorn. I sometimes wonder, like you mentioned, like some of the tight ends that might have high grades for the bills board. And I know that they just re signed Dawson Knox to an extension, but 
watching Travis Kelsey up close and personal, if they, they get another version of that and Kincaid, who wasn't one of the guys that had a first round grade on Matt Miller's board, if he's kind of there and he might be like that tweener, I like what Dane Brugler does. If, if maybe it's not a first round grade, but if he's really close, he'll give him a first second. Maybe Dalton Kincaid falls into that group. And how much would you like the bills to maybe think about an idea like that, adding another weapon as a pass catcher. And that's what Kincaid is. I mean, most people think that he's going to be an immediate like uh pass catching weapon. Yeah. And that's a great option for the bills. Uh, there's the throwback to like the Michael Mayer that you mentioned who has a first round grade, someone that's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but it's like one having an extra offensive lineman out there on the field in terms of blocking. Uh, but two, he is very sure handed. He's very savvy in terms of how he can get open. Uh, there's guys in round three, round four in this draft. So Based on what we saw last summer with the Bills really trying to implement two tight end sets, and this is no knock on Quentin Morris. I think they have something in Morris that they can continue to develop. This is just such a special class at tight end that I wouldn't be shocked if uh, the Bills spent one of their first three or four picks on that position and addressed it here to kind of bolster their pass catching weapons, add another guy that can block because, you know, it goes back to what Brandon Bean said after the season, we have to protect Josh Allen and do a better job of it. And that doesn't necessarily just mean the offensive line, which they have addressed a little bit here in free agency at the guard position. Uh, It could also mean bringing in a, a tight end that can block and catch the ball. Victor brings up a good question. He says, why waste an early pick on tight end when the Bills have improved to be able to use in-house talent? So I think that there's been spurts for Dawson Knox. I I think you can make the argument that Dawson Knox was much more of a developmental player compared to a mayor or a Kincaid. I think Washington as a pass catcher, you know, he might have a little bit more room to grow. But I think if you're taking him to your point, you're bringing him in to really change the dynamic of the run game and then really put teams in a bind with what he can do offensively. But I, I think one of these guys, this is a different, you know, tier of player. As good as Dawson Knox has been at times, and he, listen, he earned that contract extension. But these these guys are, are, are a little bit of a different of a different ilk, if you will. Yeah, listen, when Dawson Knox came out, the the Bills probably fell in love with the athletic traits. Uh, The production really, I don't want to say wasn't there, but at Ole Miss, I mean, their wide receivers were the primary weapon. So Knox wasn't featured much there. Um, They kind of went based on what they think he can become. And he's had some great moments. He's become a very solid tight end. You mentioned it earned the extension. Uh, it's funny. I looked recently at the highest paid tight ends because people kind of sometimes complain about Knox's cap at number. It, it's hard for me to argue where he's at when you look at who's underneath him, who's above him. It, it feels like it's about the right spot for him. But bringing in another person that's going to be on uh, a rookie pay scale for you know at least four years that can help contribute as a blocker, as a pass catcher, give Josh Allen another weapon in a variety of ways. I think that's a win for the bills. If it happens, a win for everybody watching right now is if you're in Buffalo on April 15th, if you make your way over to wing nuts, uh, 700 military road, uh, in North Buffalo, it is going to be the home of the shout podcast on that Saturday night. And we are going to have an NFL draft preview spectacular with special guest, Joe Biscalia from the athletic Ryan, you know, he might, he might even let you rub his head. I, I don't know. It's like, come on out. We'll, we'll have a party. I don't, who knows? Freshly shaven that day. I promise. It will be. Okay. When's the last time you had no facial hair? 
Um, before I, well, no, there was one point early in, in my marriage where I, I shaved the whole facial hair and my wife told me I'm never allowed to do that again because I looked like <laughs> too much of a baby face. Uh, okay. so yeah, so I cannot and, uh, will not shave any, you know, I'll always have some kind of facial hair. I think it, for me, it was 2015 was the last Ooh. time I didn't have any facial hair. Um, so not, I mean, we're coming up on 10 years. I've, I've had the beard. So uh, that would be, I think that would shock people if I, if I shaved the beard, it would be, it would be a little bit of a weird dynamic. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. All right. You put out an article uh, over the weekend. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Darnell Wright, one of the top tackle prospects in this year's draft class, uh, is being hosted on a top 30 visit with the Bills. Really interesting prospect in terms of versatility, can play left tackle, right tackle. Obviously in Buffalo, I think fans would want him at right tackle, competing with Spencer Brown. Uh, but, you, but you look at this team right now, and listen, if you draft him round one, you're bringing him in here to start. And There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But this team, if either of if Deion Dawkins went down, which he did for a little period of time, if Spencer Brown goes down, you're looking at a very a very thin roster at tackle. They re-signed David Questenberry. The draft still needs to take place. Obviously, you get some mid-round guys on draft free agents post-draft too. But Darnell Wright's is kind of like this blue chip prospect. Uh, in terms of where he's going to be, I, again, the draft is a crapshoot, but I've seen him more times than not in those early 20s, uh, closer to 20 itself than uh, falling into Buffalo's lap late in round one. I've seen a few scenarios where he's been there, so it, it's possible. But this would be one of those trade-up targets for the Bills. And, you know, Brandon Bean has been very pro Spencer Brown all offseason I feel like his tape's gotten better as the year went on. It was something he's repeated multiple times. He pointed out some very valid factors about the back injury, the back surgery, how much time he missed, uh, the fact that he didn't play his final season of college because of the COVID he, he, uh, years. He spent that year training instead with Joe Staley, I believe. So, again, it's a lot of reps, a lot of snaps that he's missed in the past few years. And, the athleticism is there, the back injuries, you know, the back issues that would scare me a little bit if I were the Bills. Uh, but I don't think it would be a bad idea to take a top tier right tackle or just tackle in general in this year's draft class. If he falls into that range, Matt, where you can either go up and get him just a few picks up or, you know, even a luckier scenario would be if he fell, fell into their lap. And the fact that, like, to your point, like them bringing him in to, to get to learn more about him just tells you a bit of a story about where they feel like they're at a tackle. And listen, depending on what tackle, you know, a, a crazy idea, like say like a Peter Skaronsky, right? Uh, he, most mock drafts have him going in the top 10. Maybe he slides and at 15, 16, 17, he's still on the board. And if, and if you're Brandon Bean and you're thinking about, you know, what, what, what is the best way to move forward? Let's go out and get a, a blue chip offensive lineman. You know, you have a third round pick next year to play with right now in the comp formula, move up, go get a guy. You might not have to do that depending on how the draft plays out. And if uh, a guy like Darnell Wright maybe slides into a, maybe more of a feasible range, but I love the idea of going tackle. And I don't think anything on the roster right now is precluding them from going in that direction. The problem I see too, though, is like, there could be a real healthy run at the tackle spot. And then you're left with 
where do you feel like the value is at interior offensive linemen? I mean, there's a couple of guys in this draft, you know, Osiris Torrance from Florence is that uh, from Florida is that kind of top guy when it comes to the interior, but there's some other guys, Joe Tipman uh, from Wisconsin. You have John Michael Schmitz uh, who's in the mix as well. Uh, some other guard. Listen, the more and more, you know, you read up on, on Cody Malk, the more you're just like, whoa, I, I don't know. Like, this is a guy that if you're in that trade back to the early parts of round two, that's a guy with, you know, his three cone at his pro day apparently was just absolutely off the charts. Right. I love that idea of kind of going and getting a guy that played tackle in college is probably going to transition to guard, but has that maybe flexibility. And then you could get, kind of figure out, all right, where is everybody best? I have an idea though. Like, I do think, for fans that are concerned about maybe the regression of Deion Dawkins last year, he's going to get a lot of questions about that over the course of this offseason, whether it be in, you know, mini camp or training camp. I have a very sneaking suspicion that we're going to see a bounce back year from Dawkins. And that solidifies the line in a lot of ways. I mean, David uh, Edwards, a really, really nice addition. In addition to Connor McGovern, you know, you have Ryan Bates in the mix, you're bringing back Mitch Morris. And then, it's a make or break year for for Spencer Brown. Year three, I mean, if he wants to get that next contract, he's going to have to not only win the starting job, but keep the starting job. So I think they're in a better spot than maybe even we really think. But I think the fact that the Bills are looking at tackles in the first round type of tackles, I think says a lot. It, it does say a lot, and it, but it also says a lot about what has been the formula for these teams that have won it all or been in the Super Bowl. They've had really good offensive lines, and right. th- there's no right way to go about it. Obviously, the, the Kansas City model, they, they uh, traded for Orlando Brown, and now he's on the Bengals, so the Bengals are trying that as well. Uh, they've drafted guys, so th- it's a mix. Uh, you know, You can spend big money, you can draft guys early, you can find these players in round one, round two maybe even round three and address the line that way so I, I like to see the bills be a little bit more proactive there uh in terms of those interior linemen that you mentioned knowing that i would have on the bills radar in round one but you're right round two round three uh those players that you mentioned would all make a lot of sense for the bills add more legitimate competition to the interior of this line uh bring in someone that has the the ability to play center because you know mitch morris the concussions are a concern it is something to worry about uh, he could still has a lot of good football left in him in terms of his age, but he, he is also not a young, young player anymore. Uh, so it, it feels like he's been around for a long time, but really when you look at the age, he hasn't been. But still, you always want to have some, that next man up that you have confidence in. So no issues there. Deion Dawkins, real quick, definitely had his ups and downs last year. I also think it's important to know that you're only as good as the person next to you. And we have talked a lot about Roger Saffold and his mm. struggles last year. Uh, I, I think that Saffold struggles, especially as the year went on, that could have played a factor in Dawkins kind of dipping down as well in terms of his struggles, uh, the assignments, so what needed to be done on certain plays. More times than not, Deion Dawkins has answered the bell when it came to bounce back seasons, bounce back play. So he's earned the benefit of the doubt, but Right tackle, there's so many question marks about Spencer Brown from the injury perspective, from the fact that they drafted this guy in, in the third round based on his athletic traits, just like they did with at tight end with Dawson Knox a few years before that. 
but that doesn't guarantee athletic traits don't guarantee you that you're going to pan out into some kind of all pro or top lineman type of player. So uh, I'd rather try to get one of those blue chip prospects if they fall into your lap or if they're in that range where you can trade up and go get them. No, I think that that's an interesting um, view of that spot at 27. And it's, you know, I, I see some comments about like wide receiver and that's something that we've talked a lot about. And, you know, it's, it's one of the, the weirdest position groups because even the guys that are really the guys in this draft, it, it feels like at any point that we're having these conversations, people are cooling on any given guy that week. And it depends on yeah. who you're reading, you know, Zay flowers, you'll read one person who thinks that he is a can work at all three levels is this great separator you know you got to get him first round talent there's some people that say you know second round guy nothing super special it's it's amazing at the you know the depth in between takes on some of these guys i think the the one bona fide guy in this draft at this point is jackson smith and jigba i think he's going to end up probably being a top 10 top 12 pick i can't see him getting past houston beyond that though for those that want the bills to just stick at 27 and take the best receiver on the board I don't know if I'm there because if those top three guys, maybe four guys, if you want to uh, include the um, uh, who's the kid from TCU, Quentin Johnson, Johnston, Johnston. Um, if if those four guys are off the board, then I think that you're in a you have a group of receivers at that point. You know the Josh Downs of the world out of uh, uh, UNC. You have Rasheed Rice, Marvin Mims. Um, Jaden Reed, somebody that we talked about with uh, with Chris Trapasso on the show, a bunch of different players. You know, Tank Dell is a guy that really performed well down at the Senior Bowl. I know the Bills. I think are bringing him in for a top thirty visit. So there's like that that second wave of receivers might be a little bit more of a Parker Washington, a guy uh, from Penn State, uh, a little bit of a, a smaller guy, a lot of small guys in this draft, but can run a little bit. You know, maybe you 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 push off receiver and you prioritize the line and crazy enough, Ryan, could that end up being like a defensive lineman, maybe even an interior player? I don't think it's crazy. And I know, you know, some fans would want to pull their hair if they have any, um, because, you know, you, you look at this, the last few years of draft classes and a lot of them have been off the edge kind of guys, whether it's Greg Rousseau, who in my opinion has been a hit thus far in his career, uh, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, these early round players at Oliver in the interior, they've gone that route a lot, but there's a need there. There's definitely a need on this defensive line uh, to add more playmakers, add more guys that can cause disruptions, stop the run, get after the quarterback, whether you're talking about off the edge or talking on the interior, there's a need for both and defensive tackle. There's only so many under contract through, I believe, 2024 or going into 2024 that you probably have to look to add one in this year's draft class uh edge rushers is there's some really good players still out there in free agency but obviously if they don't go that route with von miller who knows how long he's going to be out in the regular season you want to address that as well make sure you have uh, a solid rotation to kind of protect yourself until miller is back so no I, i don't think it's crazy matt i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility Uh, definitely something that fans have to kind of consider is a realistic situation, especially based on free agency and how offensive heavy they were on that in free agency this year. Yes. uh, Taylor Rapster, most recent signing Jordan Phillips is supposed to be coming back. He 
had a picture of his contract on Instagram multiple days ago or many days ago. So that should be announced soon. Obviously brought back Jordan Poyer, but they really attack the offense more than the defense and free agency. So if it is a defensive player in round one that comes off the board for the Bills, I don't think fans should be surprised. Yeah, and Sean was kind of asked that. I was actually going back through his transcripts. I think he was asked that at the at the end of the season. And he was asked, have the Bills prioritized the offense enough, like building around Josh Allen? And he kind of, the quote, I don't have the exact quote, but it was basically like, you know, we we put value on the players. Like, you know, they try to go out and get good players, what Brandon Bean has said over and over again. And, you know, they got to make sure that they get good players. They get guys they can they can trust to come in here and for whatever roles that they they fill can compete for jobs. And you know, one of the things I mentioned on the radio over the last couple of days, doing some hits, you know, people wanting wide receiver two, right? The Ed Oliver replacement. I think that that's fine to plan for over the net when you're looking at the three-year window. But if you're looking at 2022 and you're talking or 2023 and you're talking about this next season, I, I think Bills fans should be excited about the potential fire lit under Gabe Davis and Ed Oliver. Uh, I think they're going into a season where if they don't perform, if Oliver doesn't approach 10 sacks, it's going to hit him in the checkbook. I think that he's going to probably sell out and do anything he can to really increase those numbers. And if all of a sudden he becomes even a version of the force they drafted him to be, I mean, just going back and listening to the way that Brandon and Sean talked about him when they drafted him, you know, that really hasn't materialized on a consistent basis. Then you're talking about a, a game changer in a lot of ways for this defense, especially against some of those good quarterbacks. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I thought it was interesting. So Cole Beasley was been, has been really yeah. active on social media in the last couple of days. And one of the things that he said, I even extended an invite to him. Uh, he looks like he might want to get into the analyst game. So I said, why not throw some takes around on the old shout podcast? We'll see if he uh, is interested. But one of the things that he was saying was defending Gabe Davis and, you know, will he take another step last season? And, and Cole came back and said, well, he put up better numbers last year than he did any other year. Now he played a lot more than any other year. So that's part of it. But one of the things that he said, I thought was really interesting and, and makes a lot of sense is what the bills are asking him to do is different that last season. than It was the previous years. They were asking him to play down the field the majority of the time. Stefan Diggs works that intermediate area, the route running technician, the, the slot does some other stuff. The tight end does some other stuff. You know, Gabe Davis was really pushing things down the field. And he, he said specifically that it's just a limited route tree. He, he has a limited number of options as a wide receiver in the offense. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I thought Cole Beasley raised some valid points when it came to Gabe Davis and said, this is a guy that busts his butt. He's not going to get worse. He's only going to get better. Uh, when people mention, you know, the drop rate, things like that, or um, their frustrations, that's when he mentioned the route tree. And there's a lot of truth to that in terms of what the Bills expected him to do. It's why he had such gaudy yard per catch stats in some games or uh, over the course of the year because he was downfield more times than not. And he's shown a knack for that. He's made big plays down the field. Uh, I, you know, in my mind, I always go to that Pittsburgh game from last season, third down, 
Uh, Josh Allen throws a ball to him around midfield and he catches it and hauls it in for a 98 yard score. He is a guy that can have success there, but it also skews your numbers. So if you can branch out his route tree, so to speak, let him run some of these different routes, he's going to have more success in terms of uh, raising some of those, you know, the drop rate, the cat, you know, the catch percentage perspective or percentage i should say uh because they're they're going to be more winnable catches more winnable plays for him where down the field it's not always going to be that easy there's a lot of those sideline juggling catches that he has to make it's not the easy routine plays that he's been given the opportunities to do so i thought that cole beasley raised some really valid points when it came to gabe davis and, and like you said he, he had more snaps last year but he did see an increase in receptions and yards he's trending in the right direction in my opinion he, he also had to play through pretty significant injury and yes. so that's going to be one that going into this he's now he's he's had lower body issues his entire career whether it be ankles feet legs i mean he's had injuries almost every season so that's something that i think you just got to kind of mitigate with him but again i think he's got the ultimate motivation i think he's going to want to you know if, if the Bills don't extend him before the season and he goes into year four uh, having to put up a monster year and then potentially hitting the free agent market or looking at a deal from the Bills, if that's the, the route they choose to go, um, it's going to be very interesting because I do think that they view him as wide receiver number two, even if the rest of the fan base doesn't. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, how many players have we seen, not just in Buffalo, but across the NFL, where contract year, they rise to the occasion. They put up these monster stats or gaudy stats because they know that their next payday is dependent upon it. And, you know, look at free agency this year, man. There are some good players that are still out there that aren't getting paid the amount that they need. So you almost need to really deliver in that final season, put up great tape if you want to cash in like Tremaine Edmonds did in free agency, uh, respectively different positions, obviously, but Ed Oliver and Gabe Davis are going to have to do that. What's your favorite and least favorite part about draft season? I love everything about draft season. If I'm being honest, I guess my, my junkie. I am. I, I love it. I love the actual draft nights. I, I guess maybe uh, the lack of sleep over the, those course of those days. Uh, <laughs> the last few years, like I know you're up probably even later than I am, but I was up until like 4 a.m. after night mm-hmm. one of the draft because we're doing our stories. You meet with the players over Zoom in some cases. Now, obviously, you can, you know, they're going to have other options as well. Um, then you're writing stories based on that. You're getting reactions. You're looking at best prospects available for uh, day two of the draft. And there's so much content to put out there that before you know it, it's 4, 4.30 in the morning, and you're just hoping to catch a few hours of sleep before you're right back at it again. So I guess lack of sleep would be my least favorite thing. What about you? I like the like the aha moments that you have over the course of draft season, right? Like when you really start to dive into the class – and, you know, start to really learn more about specific players, specific positions, you know, maybe hear a nugget on a podcast or read a story or read a, a nugget in, a, in an article. Um, I, I like those moments. I like as we kind of build the port, the, the portfolio, the draft portfolio throughout the offseason. The thing I hate, though, is there's this gap between the end of like that first wave of free agency and then almost like week two of April like when all the pro days are done and really everybody then all the draft experts like really put out their big overarching reviews of all these players. That's when I feel like we really have the full picture of what this is going to look like. And 
I think there's a lot of things that could change in the next week, you know, like, like where guys are getting mocked now. I think that, you know, insiders are going to start to hear completely different things over the course of the next couple of days that are going to completely shift mock drafts. And that's part of the fun of it. But as somebody that covers it, I'm like, I'm ready to get to that part. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, and, and, you know, th- I've said it a few times on this pod. The draft is a crapshoot. I remember covering the 2014 draft live at a uh, restaurant with uh, Gene Battaglia and a few other uh, people. And that's the the Sammy Watkins draft. And I remember how excited mm. the fan base was. And now you look back at that and you're like, ooh. That was a big swing in the in a miss there at that time, but the excitement of it all, you know, fans are gonna rally around whoever is drafted. I know there'll be some upset fans because their favorite player didn't get selected there, uh, but more times than not, there's a lot of, a, a big level of excitement to it too that I I really do enjoy. Is Mac Jones turning into the Patriots version of EJ Manuel? Mm. It's obviously not a perfect comp because Mac no. Jones was like the third or fourth pick in that draft at quarterback. And EJ Manuel was embarrassingly the first, but just in terms of how quickly the mood around the player is changing. Yeah. How quickly things have soured. I think that's a a fair assessment. Now, mind you with everything with, with Belichick and the fact that it rubbed him the wrong way that he consulted with Alabama coaches. And I don't blame Mac Jones whatsoever. The coaching last year was a joke in terms of who they assigned and how they assigned these guys to uh, coach up that team. It's it soured quickly there. Supposedly, you know, the latest story is he's been available for trade. I don't know if there's going to be a market for him, but uh, I think it's going to be a very short leash for him this year, whether it's Bailey Zappi or uh, someone else. I, I think that uh, the Mac Jones era could be coming to an end sooner rather than later in New England. Yeah, I think Bill Belichick committed malpractice with the way that he went into year two of Mac Jones. And I'm not even a Mac Jones believer or advocate i mean i i i have never really like even when he was kind of going off as a rookie uh for those for that short stretch i was waiting for the other shoe to drop i just think he's limited as a player and that's nothing against him it's just he, he has limitations i mean alabama quarterbacks in general uh is not that's not really the model that i want to build my franchise around but the way you go in a year or two you just didn't even give the kid a chance and so uh, right. at this point it's probably better for him and every all parties involved to move on but I mean, Bills fans have to be excited about the fact that it just looks like an absolute shit show. In, yeah, uh, it is. And, and real quick, what are your thoughts on the 49ers maybe jumping into the Aaron Rodgers saga, into the fray? I guess how funny would it be if they did end up getting him and all this back and forth with the Jets did not come to fruition? It might be a blessing in disguise for the Jets uh, because there's other options. The fact that it's not a one-year rental uh, but yeah, that, that's been the talk on social media today is supposedly the 49ers, they'd have to really figure out their cap to make it make sense, uh, could get back in on him. And if they did, they would be the NFC favorites, in my opinion, next year to, to go to the Super Bowl. I can't say that about the Jets and the AFC if he goes there. I think the, I think the 49ers are probably close to the favorites now. I mean, Philadelphia, I guess. But I, I just think that there there's regression possibility. I like what the 49ers did who did they add oh javon hargrave uh on that defensive line Mm -hmm. they're the best defensive line in football when it's fully healthy and so you know christian mccaffrey i don't know like i i might just roll the dice with purdy and you know i I know like trey lance purdy might not be throwing the football though until august or september so that's the you know trey lance though maybe he's the guy they did add sam darnold 
Um, yeah, I, I might even have just much roll faith with Darnold. I'd, I'd roll, Ooh. I'd roll Darnold over and, Aaron Rodgers Isn't and have the defense. I think that's a little crazy. I think it's a little, I mean, cap wise, it's not crazy because they only have, I think about $3 million in cap space right now. Uh, and obviously Darnold was a much more affordable option, but I guess with that defense, you can lean on McCaffrey in the run game, uh, look to have, you know, be a game manager. We have seen. Uh, Shanahan have a lot of success with whatever quarterback he's kind of put in there. So maybe with a pedigree like Darnold's, he'll have success there. But yeah, it's at least an interesting wrinkle as this whole saga with the Jets and the Packers kind of continues on and on. This might turn out to be an awful take. And our producer, Anthony, is a huge Jets fan and he's cheering down there because I think he, he really wants Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is cooked. So that's why if I'm the 49ers, I don't want to add that into the mix because if it doesn't work, he's going to blow up your locker room. I mean, that there was so much talent on both sides of the ball in Green Bay last year, and especially on their offensive line. I thought their offensive line was solid. Um, it's, he's going to have a worse offensive line in New York, so good luck with that. Um, he's not as mobile as he once was. He's old. He doesn't even really want to play football anymore, I don't think. I mean, do you have we been listening to this guy on the McAfee show? The guy just like he's he's ready to just be like, who knows, like living in in, in dark half the year and <laughs> you know, doing all kinds of trips to the moon. And you know, he is I think he might even be studying to become a like a doctor or something. Like he had a lot of takes on COVID and vaccines. So like that whole thing could happen for him. I don't know. There's a big future for Aaron Rodgers outside of football. Yeah, he, he did say 90% sure he was going to retire before the darkness retreat. That's Close that's it. the interesting Close part. The <laughs> yeah, that's when you're that when it's that close to 100, probably time All to right. close the door. Great episode back. We will I don't know when our next show will be, but we'll always have it posted uh here on YouTube um and it'll give you kind of that that warning find us on apple spotify stitcher all the audio platforms subscribe there as well download the show when it comes out if you missed the live edition and then april 15th catch us at wing nuts ryan will be there in person myself and joe biscalia from the athletic we can't wait take care everybody have a great week shout a buffalo football podcast hosted by matt perino and ryan talbot